Welcome back to Streamageddon, the TV and streaming podcast that is uh, rebooting itself every week by forgetting everything that came before us and focusing only on what's ahead, the TV and streaming shows that you are just dying to watch and talk about. You, dear listener, that's why you tune in to me, Chris Barlow. I'm your host, and I am joined across multiple bodies of water this week by Diane Nora. How are you, Diane? I'm doing great. I'm soaked in nostalgia. Uh, oh my God, you're soaked in nostalgia. I'm soaked in rain in the woods in New England. We're all just sopping wet with um, various fluids. I, I love that for us. I will say I'm also recovering from a cold. <laughs> Speaking of unwanted fluids. So if I sound a bit different this week, um, my most sincere apologies. Unless well, I sound better. In which, in which case... case Keep it. It was welcome. intended. Save a little bit of that mucus and a microdose every week. <laughs> You'll sound perfect. And of course, I also will uh, make an excuse for why I sound off this week, because I am in a shack in New England, in the woods, where everything looks like it's going to infect me with the fungus from The Last of Us. So no, I am not caught up on The Last of Us, because I cannot watch the fungus while surrounded by the fungus. I fished some of the fungus out of the hot tub today. Yes, it's a shack with a hot tub. But... I fished some fungus out of that hot tub and I went, no, get away from me. Oh, city boy, you'll be fine. <laughs> Probably, I hope. If you hear some strange noises in the background, they are, are either the dogs I am taking care of or they are the zombies and they have come for me. Who knows? A little drama for the episode to juice it up because, you know, we could use some drama this week because this week we are talking about comedies. And in particular, we're taking a break from the news because we're traveling and we have to pre-record a little bit and we're going to talk about a genre. We're going to talk about two new shows that are airing on some very popular streamers. Well, Netflix uh, and another streamer. So one popular streamer. Uh, and those two shows happen to be reboots of, uh, let's say, successful 90s sitcoms or aughts sitcoms. It depends on your nostalgia for them, I think. Uh, but those shows are That 90s Show, which is now on Netflix, a reboot of That 80s Show. Obviously, everyone's favorite show, That 80s Show, the successful spinoff of That 70s Show, Right? Right. Right, right, right. Everyone knew that happened. Yeah. And more importantly, Night Court, because who doesn't love Night Court, a show so old, you probably were born after it ended. I, I wasn't born after it ended. Diane, we both we both are as old as John Larroquette, but many people so young, they don't even know what's the court and why is it at night? If you've never heard of Night Court, shame on you. Go watch 30 Rock. That's but. the right answer. That is the right... <laughs> spoiler alert for the review. That might be the right answer. But, you know, reboots, the, the, the feeling is in the water. The air is rich with the spores of reboots ready to infect your brain. And, uh, and, and you know, we made a list of reboots to talk about reboots this episode. And it turned out to be a difficult exercise in some ways uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one... What is a reboot? Diane, I just, I, is a reboot a revival? Is a revival a reboot? And what about, I'm going to just put this out there, what about a spin-off? Is a spin-off different, the same, a little bit of both? I would argue they are three different things with a bit of overlap. I think that's very fair. It may be something like when you're talking about, is a square a rectangle, right? You know, right. where... It may be both things. It may be one thing, depending on what you're looking at. This has been Geometry Hour with Chris and Diane. I, I like that definition a lot. Uh, and so, you know, the two shows we're talking about this week, uh, Night Court and that 90s show, I would strongly argue are both reboots. Uh, but what, what makes a reboot different than a revival, different than a spinoff? Um, I, I think a spinoff is the easy one to attack. What would you say, Diane? Yeah, so I would say a spinoff is when you take usually one character. It may be a lead character, but it seems more often that it's a supporting character or one character in an ensemble. And you see them in a new scenario with a new leading cast. Sometimes spinoffs happen while a show is still running. Uh, and sometimes spinoffs happen, you know, much later. 
Right. Maybe sometimes a spinoff is uh, the show, the network, the producers, maybe the actors uh, trying to capitalize on a show that is ending, maybe because the lead doesn't want to keep doing it or some of the cast is done doing it, doesn't want to renew. Uh, the example that comes to mind for me is everyone's favorite spinoff, Joey. Oh, Joey. Joey. I mean, who wouldn't want to keep watching Friend? Just Friend. <laughs> you loved Friends, but now get ready for Friend, which really is the journey of aging as a 20 to 30-something with Friends. You just wind up with Friend. Joey was ahead of its time, is what I'm saying. If it's considered a drama, Joey works on many levels. Just take out the laugh track. Oh, I would watch that. If you're a YouTube supercutter and you just want to make that supercut for us of what if Joey was an HBO prestige drama, about 30 minutes per episode, I, I would watch. I would too. In fact, I would review it here on Streamageddon. Email us, podcast at streamageddon.com. Uh, but a spinoff, I, I think actually some classic examples that people actually liked would be Frasier, which did overlap with Cheers a bit. Uh, Maud, which came from the Golden Girls, of course. Uh, and uh, Young Sheldon, I'm going to throw that in. Not my personal favorite, but I would argue that's a prequel spinoff because it is a spinoff of uh, The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, or even something like The Jeffersons was a massive hit, yeah. Laverne and Shirley. I think these used to do really well for a time when they ha when they were hitting their sweet spot. Right now, they seem to be lost in a mire of what I would call reboot culture, where across mediums, media, I should say, across media, there is a tendency to just glom onto existing IP and re-attack things that we've made before instead of investing in new ideas. And so it's just it seems like a lazy choice instead of a fun way to approach new material. Yeah, and, and I think rebootitis or, or whatever you just called it, I'm going to call it rebootitis, is the symptom uh, or perhaps the disease that we're witnessing right now because reboots are, boy, are they in fashion. Uh, and so, you know, that 90s show, uh, Night Court, we're going to talk about those. But some other reboots that have been all over the place lately, uh, Quantum Leap this past season, not a comedy, also not good. Uh, MacGyver got rebooted, Hawaii Five-0 got rebooted. The, the networks, they love to reboot an old procedural. Do any of them do well? I would leave that open to interpretation, though Hawaii Five-0 had a very good run on CBS. Uh, but they do love a good reboot of something that has a formula. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing about a formula, it's tried and true. Will that resonate with audiences the same way it did 10, 20, 30 years ago? That's another story. I think it lends itself better to dramas, like a, a crime show has a formula that is much more tried and true. Hawaii Five-0 is in a long lineage of crime procedurals that don't really rely on a specific character to anchor them so much as the formula, Law & Order being, of course, the pinnacle of that, that genre, whereas MacGyver is a show that relies on the character of MacGyver. And if you don't have a really great guy playing MacGyver who really taps into some hot, sexy ethos of the network TV viewer today, I don't think your MacGyver spinoff has the, the juice that makes MacGyver MacGyver. Sure. I just called it. I just want to call out. I just called that a spinoff. I meant reboot, but that is how easy it is to use the wrong word in this reboot culture that we are trapped in today. Oh, it's so easy. Another reason I think that these reboots may be appealing to networks, particularly for these dramas and procedurals, is that they may be approaching another audience, an older audience, instead of looking at that hot 18 to 45, 49 demographic that we talk about a lot. Um, if you understand that your viewers now on a network 9 p.m. show are 60 plus, they might like a show that they watched 20 years ago. That might bring them back week to week in a way that a new show with young leads might not. I think that's a great point. And, and in particular, I think we're going to have an interesting conversation about that around that 90s show, which tries to straddle both the young new leads who you don't know, and the nostalgia uh, characters who you do. 
Uh, but that is for a little bit later in the episode. Not not that I think anyone is too panicked about spoilers for that 90s show and Night Court, but we believe in the sanctity of the spoiler alert, so we will warn you before we get to them. Uh, I do want to talk about some of the other reboots that are coming up and whether we're excited about any of them, because I think as we begin to unpack these shows and what it means for reboot culture, uh, we, we might go down a dour path. But there are a couple of upcoming reboots I am personally excited about, and that'll transition us into a conversation about whether some of these are actually revivals and what is the difference, because there is a, a greater variety of revivals, I would argue, and uh, perhaps they are no more successful, but that gives us a little more room to, to grow, let's say. Uh, so consulting my calendar here, <clears throat> a beep, beep, boop, boop, beep, beep. That's my calendar. My calendar says uh, we have Clone High coming soon. Were you a Clone High fan? Never seen it. Oh, oh, oh. It's the Lego Movie Dudes. Before they became the Lego Movie Dudes. They made this weird MTV cartoon in the early aughts that parodied the OC genre of the time, the high school drama show. But it's a cartoon set in a high school where all the students are clones of famous historical figures. So we have, you know, clone of Lincoln, clone of Cleopatra, clone of JFK, etc. That sounds like it could be really funny. It was, and canceled very swiftly, because that was super high concept for 2002. But that is coming back with the original creators sometime this year. And that's one where I'm optimistic about its potential as a reboot, because the concept is kind of timeless, and it's a cartoon. And cartoons are kind of evergreen in their, their essence, their DNA. I feel like you can uh, get away with a reboot easier when it's a cartoon. Yeah, absolutely. Also on our list, we've already mentioned it. It was once a spinoff. It is now probably a reboot. Frasier coming to Paramount Plus, whether you like it or not. And th this is one where I ask you, based on what we know, we know, in theory, that this Frasier show is going to be about Frasier moving to yet another new city to live with his son, who is a firefighter, and that they have another highbrow, lowbrow, odd couple, etc., minus all of the other original characters. I would argue that is a reboot, not a revival, even though we are reviving the story of Fraser Crane. I'd agree. Yeah, I would say that's a reboot because it's a different main cast, even though we still have Fraser, And we may have some of the other folks. It's still unclear exactly who's coming back like freddie was a character on fraser but a minor character we only get him in a few episodes classic 1990s uh son or daughter of a main character on a sitcom rarely spoken of and never really seen yeah. uh it i would also argue that it's a spin-off would you not not only because Frasier was a spinoff of Cheers, of course, but also because it's taking one character from a successful ensemble and giving them their own series with a new ensemble. That's interesting. If Frasier wasn't called Frasier, if it was called My Seattle Life, uh, I, I would actually fall into the spinoff camp much more easily. But because he is the titular character, I struggle to call it a spinoff. But I, I see your point, and I think I would enjoy this show if it was called My Crazy Seattle Life. <laughs> Tossed salad and scrambled eggs to that. <laughs> Great title, right? Right? Uh, yeah. So one more I'm going to throw at you coming soon, theoretically this year. Party down. This one, to me, sounds like it's mostly a revival. I would agree. And I'm thrilled. I, same, same. And in this case, why would we say it's a revival? It's many of the same cast coming back. It sounds like Lizzie Kaplan is not back, but the other lead cast members are back. So it doesn't sound like they're really changing the basic DNA of the show. I think that's a really good way to differentiate, define it. I think other classic examples of something that I would say is strictly a revival would be returning sitcoms like Community when it went to Yahoo. Total revival situation. Community when it comes to Peacock in a movie. Total revival situation. 
Uh, those are shows where the original cast is mostly intact. I think the Yahoo season of Community is a great example because some characters did not return. Uh, some of the actors were busy, and so they did introduce a couple new cast members to balance it out, to, to basically make sure that somebody replaced Shirley as the black character, not to be too transparent, but you know, they, they just found, okay, we have some gaps in our ensemble. We're going to fill them in with new people who I think in the case of uh, the Yahoo season of Community were actually... Uh, assets to the the ensemble. They didn't just try to literally slot in the same character types as before. They slotted in new people who had a new dynamic. I think Paget Brewster in particular really was a fantastic addition to the community cast. And I hope she's in the movie. I honestly have no idea. But in those cases, it really was, we have most of the core ensemble still. Let's bring them back, continue their story, even though some time has passed. When we discussed the Hulu sitcom Reboot... I was waiting for this when we hit Reboot Inception, so here we are. The show that is being rebooted on Reboot, I would describe as a revival. Accurate. Correct. That is a show where they are bringing back the original cast, they've all just aged, and they are writing into the, the gap in time. It sounds like somewhat successfully... Hard to say since it's a fictional show. Hard to say since we basically never see an episode of the fictional show within the show. Though, as I've mentioned on this show before, that show did grow on me. Okay, so that's a little trip through uh, Reboot Lane, what's coming up, but also through our definitions of spin-off versus reboot versus revival. Which, again, easy to mix these up because there's always some overlap between them. I think as we begin to talk about uh, this week's shows, that 90 show in Night Court, we're going to see there's totally overlap between reboot and revival. But I would argue both of these are primarily reboots. And I think reboots are the hardest of the three to pull off. The more we made these lists, the more we talked about this ahead of this episode, every time, in particular, every comedy that we put on this list, I cringed when I wrote it down. And this is no shade to the creators, the cast, the hardworking creatives behind these. What I am here to say is making a reboot is hard. Maybe even harder than coming up with a brilliant new idea. I agree. And I think a big part of that in the world of comedy and sitcoms is that they reflect their time so much. And it's hard to make what was funny in 1995 or 1985 land today um people have different sensibilities they accept different things it's just it's a different comedic world that we're living in agreed and you know uh to our list of upcoming reboots i am so excited for clone high i think you could feel my palpable enthusiasm through the microphone but even then clone high was deliberately a parody of the oc and the uh you know apex of early 2000s high school teen dramas, over-the-top, insane drama plot lines about people who are supposed to be 16 but are played by 26-year-olds. Classic TV. We have now moved beyond that genre to the point where shows like Riverdale have eaten that genre from its own tail like an Oros Boros. And so will Clone High still feel fresh and new when that genre has essentially incepted itself at this point? Right. I I wonder, is Clone High supposed to appeal to teens today? Or is it for, you know, millennials and Gen Xers who saw it back in the day? Or, you know, do are they counting on the fact that people have streamed the OC and reconnected with shows of that time? Right. Or that that type of show is now kind of an archetype, a stereotype where you can just make fun of it and people go, yeah, it's one of those. They're making fun of that kind of show, a Riverdale type, even though if you watch to the later seasons of Riverdale, you realize a Riverdale type is anything now. Anything can be a teen drama, including time travel and superheroes, because anything can also be a multiverse show, because this is the awful, awful world we live in. It's rough out there. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's hard in the world of streaming. I understand. That's why we're here. And that's why we made this list of other uh, perhaps not so successful reboots. So let me just give you some highlights from this list, if we will. 
I think a great example, actually, is Roseanne, because it's an example of both a revival and a reboot, because it was a revival when it was Roseanne. Remember, it was revived as Roseanne. Then Roseanne said all those things Roseanne said that she shouldn't have said, and worse, she apparently meant them and believes them, which is the real problem, and so they got rid of Roseanne and killed her off of Roseanne, but then they couldn't call it Roseanne anymore, so they rebooted it as The Connors, which I find to be one of the most painful 30 minutes of television uh, being produced today, but that's not because they're not succeeding at rebooting the concept of Roseanne. Because what did they do? They went, okay, well, ultimately, Roseanne was about this blue-collar family in the Chicago suburbs. So here's the blue-collar family in the Chicago suburbs minus Roseanne. The reason why Roseanne appealed to people in the first place and why it still appeals to some people now or why the Connors would appeal to some people now is that there is this pretense that uh, these people are saying things you're not allowed to say that people were really worried in the 90s about, you know, everything being too PC. And everyone has taken that idea and just made it even more insane now with uh, these ideas about wokeness and cancel culture. So I think that having brash family members who are unapologetic about their rough around the edges culture is in again in a very big way. And so the original DNA of Roseanne still works, even if it's not for me. Yeah, I could see that. And would you agree that once you minus Roseanne from Roseanne, it turns into more of a reboot of the concept versus a revival of the original series? Yeah, I'd agree. Right? And I think that's where it actually started to succeed, because I don't think it was as successful when it was just the reboot that it started as. I would make a, a similar argument, though it, but without some of the, um, you know, uh, crazy drama uh, of the Will and Grace reboot, which was a revival. Again, hard to keep these terms straight. The Will and Grace revival, not bad, and ran for three seasons, uh, but at the same time, didn't really add anything new and didn't reinvent or reinvigorate the original concept. So it was strictly a revival in the sense of, well, the same characters have the same relationship dynamics in a slightly different time period. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, they fell into some of the same joke patterns and structures, which I think for that show in some ways shows that they're timeless, but also shows that their audience has aged with them uh, to to some extent. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I don't know. It, it mostly worked. I agree. It, I mostly enjoyed it. Mostly is the key word there. I mostly enjoyed the reboot of the revival. This is so hard. I mostly <laughs> enjoyed the revival of Will and Grace. However, I did not bat an eyelash when it ended because I thought, yeah, it was just more Will and Grace. And there's a lot of Will and Grace out there. I can watch a lot of Will and Grace on demand at any moment. The new one, the old one, honestly, it wouldn't matter. Yes, I agree. Though I was happy to see the, that team employed. Okay, but that is the peak of the list. I just want to emphasize the peak of this list was the Connors and Will and Grace. Are you ready for the roller coaster to take the nauseating drop down as we go through some more entries on this list? I've got my hands in the air in anticipation. Great, I hope your phone is securely in your pocket or you're about to lose it because here comes the Wonder Years. Fuller House, that time they rebooted The Muppets as a workplace single-cam office-style comedy on ABC. The Murphy Brown reboot slash revival. I don't even really want to figure out which one it was because, oh, that was rough. Bel Air, which is still happening even though I don't really understand it. Arrested Development, Revival, Season 4, Season 5. Too many additional seasons of Arrested Development. Uh, what, what else do I have here? Uh, oh, The Odd Couple. Twice. Once with Matthew Perry. I mean, The Odd Couple is strong IP. Is, <laughs> it, it, is it strong IP or is it just a strong concept that you can do other things with? Frasier is The Odd Couple, but they didn't call That's it true. The Odd Couple colon Seattle. They called it My Seattle Life colon <laughs> Frasier. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess the question is, who are you appealing to? Or who are you trying to appeal to unsuccessfully? Well said. Who are you trying to appeal to unsuccessfully? 
is perhaps a question for all of the streamers today, and one that I'm really going to ask about the two shows we are reviewing this week. Uh, but, you know, this is a, a perhaps a dark list of comedy reboots. It's not a great, great list. Uh, are there any reboots that you actually think of fondly? So I haven't watched Bel Air, but on our list, that one stands out to me because it changed the genre. I think you're shaking things up enough that I would call that a significant reboot. <laughs> it's a reimagining. And I think that you just introduced a fourth better. term, a fourth term, Diane, a reimagining. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that really the same thing as a reboot? Because you're right. It's a different genre. It's a different show. Yeah. I mean... Maybe it's not. Maybe. I don't know. I, I haven't really engaged with the content that much, so I, I can't assess it fully. I will say there is another word I'm going to throw in here that for me is the most successful of these, but I understand why it's not the most popular option, is the reunion special. Ooh. Friends did this. The West Wing did it? The West Wing did it, right? Um uh, you, uh, Bel Air did it. The Fresh Prince did it. The, the original show. <laughs> and it was a fantastic special. It's one of my favorite specials ever. It's my favorite content to enjoy of those because it it's limited enough that it allows me to be a bit sentimental, a bit saccharine. Okay, it's fine for this. Uh, and it's not as expensive to produce, I would imagine, as getting all these people in for multiple episodes, easier to coordinate. However, you only have that maybe two to three hour block of content and, you know, not something that you can put into your fall lineup every week. Right. And I think having a special like that, in theory, is to attract people to your streaming service to watch the back catalog of that show. Why did HBO Max make the Friends special? Because HBO Max wants you to know that HBO Max is the only place where you can HBO Max Friends. It worked on me. <laughs> Remember, HBO Max is where Bada meets Bing meets Bugs, or whatever that ad said. Where, what was it? Where Bada meets Bing meets Bazinga? Was That's that it? it. That's it, Diane. You get a point for that, Diane. Congratulations. I'm so sorry that you remember the HBO Max launch campaign. It haunts us all to this very day. Uh, but you know, I want to throw in my own favorite reboots before we get to our main event this week. And uh, they are good. I, I'm going to argue there are two really good reboots here. But when you think of these shows, you're going to realize they are not uh, your berries. In the world of comedy, they are not cutting edge, let's say. Uh, and those two shows would be One Day at a Time on Netflix and then Pop TV after Netflix canceled it, and Girl Meets World, which is, of course, the reboot of Boy Meets World, and honestly, nails the execution right down to the weird poster board feeling sets of anywhere that's not the school. Wow, I watched probably every episode of Boy Meets World, and I did not uh, watch a moment of Girl Meets World, but I'm glad that they nailed it. <laughs> I don't think you were the target demographic for Girl Meets World. Part of why I think it's such a clean reboot is they, they were not trying to be like, hey, here's the gritty reboot of Boy Meets World that the millennials have been waiting for. Don't you want to know what Corey's up to? Is he like struggling as an artist? Is he living in the gutter? No, nobody wants to know that. Nobody wants to see Topanga getting out of prison. That That is not the direction they went. They went in the direction of, well, Cory and Topanga have a daughter. Now she's going to meet the world. And so it's, it's the same genre as the original, the same target demographic as the original, the same level of sophistication as the original, except now you get the added hoo-hoo-hoo of seeing Cory and Topanga show up as the parents sometimes living in a bizarrely gorgeous, elaborate bohemian apartment in, like, Greenwich Village for no apparent reason, because some things will never make sense on TV. By that metric, was Fuller House also a success? 
I watched a couple episodes because some children I know were watching it. And I was like, God, this is so bad. I went back and watched an episode of Full House. My word, just as bad. I have to say, in one of the many bad listicles I read in preparation for this episode, there was one that called out Fuller House as being terrible and caused the writer of that listicle to dislike Full House in hindsight. Oh, yeah. But it, it was that bad, too. That's and dark. it works on kids. But that's the thing is, honestly, know your genre, know what the show is, and stick to it. If you're going to do a reboot, a pure reboot, you are rebooting the original feeling of the show and the original mm. audience, the original goals, dreams, hopes, aspirations, whatever. And then you add a little something for the returning people. If you're, you know, a millennial with children, you watch Girl Meets World with your child and you go, huh, yeah, I remember them. I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's the idea. I, I don't have a child who watched those shows, so I, I have feel... heard great things about One Day at a Time. One Day at a Time, I you. will say. One Day at a Time excellent reboot uh, just under uh, underutilized on streaming in some ways i think it would have done so much better on network uh, but you know networks they've got a lot of shows in fact they have one of the shows that we're about to talk about this week because this reboot conversation is just about to get interesting as we talk about two shows that were just rebooted beginning with i think everyone's obvious show dying for a reboot 1980s Night Court. Yes, we are rebooting our episode about reboots by getting into the reboot palooza of reviews. I promise I'll stop. Uh, and we're going to start with Night Court. Night Court, of course, aired on NBC from 1984 to 1992, netting one John Larroquette four Emmy Awards for his role as the uh, prosecutor of the night court. Night court. It's about a court at night. What more do you need to know, Diane? You mean not too much. Honestly, it that's it. That's along. all you need to know. No, it's a... I was surprised by how much fun I had with this original series. I think that's a great way to put it. And that also explains to me why they rebooted it, which is that the original series is a lot of fun. It's... it's classic filler TV. It has been in syndication for decades now, and there's a whole generation that has extremely fond memories of Night Court, which I would personally argue was a highlight in kind of a, a grim era for network TV. The 80s are not known for great network television, to be honest. The highlights are things like Cheers and Night Court. That's true. I mean, it had high joke density. So if not every joke lands for you, there's another one coming in the next 20 to 30 seconds. Which you know? inspired a lot of uh, really popular aughts sitcoms like uh, 30 Rock. Yeah, big fan. Right? I mean, obviously, they did an episode about Night Court, but that joke per minute ratio, the idea that, you know what, we're just gonna roll through as much humor as we can, and if some of it's bad, if a lot of it's not that great, it doesn't matter, because you're gonna be laughing so frequently that you will forgive the lame jokes, because there are just so many jokes. I also feel like it was willing to borrow jokes from other types of comedy in the sense that it wasn't just jokes that arose from the situations the characters were in, but also like running character bits with the different members of the ensemble, which changed a bunch over the years of the show. And also like, you know, magic tricks and silly slapstick and some weird madcap humor. It really went in different directions, which I think is another reason that the show lasted as long as it did. Yeah. And, you know, we should say we both watched the original pilot of the original Night Court as part of our review process here because this predates our lifespan by a bit. And uh, while we both are familiar with Night Court, we've seen episodes, we know it from the zeitgeist, neither of us had actually seen the pilot of Night Court, which establishes the concept as cleanly as any sitcom pilot has ever established any concept ever, which is that the cash-strapped city of New York, because this was the 80s and government was bad 
in a different way than government is bad now. Government was bad in the 80s, and so they were bad at things, and they were broke, and they appointed all these judges at the last minute, and so they appoint this 34-year-old with no judicial experience named Judge Harry Sloan, played by the late Harry Anderson, uh, to be judge of the New York City Night Court, where he encounters all kinds of different characters. Uh, And over the course of the many seasons, I want to say four different public defenders? The actress that changed the public defender changed repeatedly throughout the first three seasons in particular. Uh, In fact, Gail Strickland is the public defender only in the pilot we watched and never again. (laughs) Which is, you know, also classic old network TV where they shot the pilot completely separate from the rest. Now that would seem crazy that a character changes in episode two. But at the time, sure, that happens. I mean, Kramer had a different last name on the pilot of Seinfeld. One of my favorites, the pilot of News Radio, uh, Dave and uh, Maura Tierney's character are not dating. They are not in a relationship. Then in episode two, they are just in a pre-existing relationship with each other as if we knew that all along. And I'm like, yeah, somebody gave you some notes on your pilot, huh? I mean, <laughs> it makes sense to me. I think streaming has really changed our relationship and our expectations to TV shows because, you know, we now watch can binge something and watch like three, four, five episodes in a row. And so you expect that. But if you only saw it, you know, last week, if you happen to be home at 8 p.m., it might not really matter to you. It's true, really. And so over the course of Night Court's run, they ran through many different ensemble members, not just the public defenders, but uh, many of the other characters around the court changed hands throughout the years. But there was one other constant. Along with Judge Harry Sloan, we had John Larroquette as Dan Fielding, the prosecutor. And he is, John Larroquette is, our window back into the show after all these years. And he's great. He's so good, and he's still good. Agreed. I would say easily, without John Larroquette, there is no reboot of Night Court. The entire reason the reboot holds up in any way is because John Larroquette is the anchor of the show, and they they throw a spiritual nod at Harry Anderson. The uh, premise of the reboot, now airing on NBC, streamable on Peacock, is that uh, Judge Harry Sloan's daughter is now the judge of the night court. She's just starting. It's her first day. And they lose their public defender on the first day of night court, as you do. And so she reaches out to her father's old friend, Dan Fielding, who now is sort of a lawyer, sort of a process server. Sounds like he just has a lot of money for some reason and enjoys getting in people's craws, you know? Yeah, so in that sense, he's retained those characteristics, but also sort of aged into that curmudgeonly character that works for, you know, I think John Larroquette's in his 70s now. He has that lovable curmudgeon thing down pat. Yeah, and it works for him. And what works for the show is that now he has to step outside his comfort zone. For all those years of the original Night Court, he was always the prosecutor. Now he has to be the public defender. And that, honestly, I I just want to take a moment to say that is a great concept for the reboot. If that's how you're going to reboot this show, I cannot think of a more just structurally solid way to put it together. You've got your anchor, which is John Larroquette. You need to put him in a new place, a place of discomfort, somewhere where he can be caught off guard and not just be the same thing he was before. And what do you do? You age him and you make him the defense after he spent a lifetime as the prosecution. That's it. I have to say, as someone who didn't really know everything about the original, I had an easier time getting into this reboot once I let go of my need for that to be logical. Nope. Definitely do not try to do that. (laughs) None of it does. But if you just sort of uh, follow the, the homey, sweet vibes of the thing, Sure, it works. Make him be the defense now. He's a lawyer. It works. Sure, he can lawyer, right? That's what he does. Yeah, he's he's the best lawyer around. And it's the night court. So they'll take what they can get, which is a theme of night court. 
in so many ways. So did this work for you overall? Like, will you turn on another episode? I think I'm more likely to turn on an episode of the original Night Court streaming on Freevee, Freevee, with ads, no matter what, whether you want them or not, Freevee. Uh, you can watch it on Amazon Prime, but it's a freebie show, so it will have ads. Uh, I, I, so is that a yes or a no? It's both. I, am I super jazzed for the reboot of Night Court? No. But did it remind me that Night Court is great television? Yes. Okay. I mean, I'd say that's a win. It would be more of a win if they had the licensing for the original. Well, this is why I bring this up, because I think there's something interesting here as we just subtly transition towards our other review of the week, that 90s show on Netflix. Netflix does not have that 70s show anymore. They did for a while. In fact, I assumed they still had it, but no. Do you want to know where you can stream that 70s show? Where? Peacock. You can stream it on Peacock. <laughs> Peacock, where you cannot stream the original Night Court, but you can stream the original That 70s Show and the Night Court reboot. But then on Netflix, you can stream the uh, That 90s Show reboot. But if you want to watch the Night Court original, you're going to go to Amazon or Freebie. I am already screaming inside trying to describe this to you. Oi. Uh, but I think this is on purpose. But I think this is actually not a massive mistake. I think if you're a, a place like Netflix, you have data that says, yeah, a lot of people like to put on that 70s show. But the rights for that 70s show are about to expire, and we would have to renew them. Uh, or we could produce and greenlight a spinoff or reboot or revival. Take your pick. Let's do a reboot with a dash of revival. Oh, I like it. I like it. How much money would it be for us to get the actors who played Kitty and Red? How much would that be versus how much would it be to re-up our rights to that 70s show, which we've had for a long time, so it also means a lot of people have already exhausted their desire to rewatch it. Whereas we could let those rights go and then have a new thing that is recommended to all those people who used to watch the reruns of that 70s show. Hey, it makes sense. I mean... I did watch that 90s show. I found it very easy to watch. For me, I'm much more likely to continue watching that than I am to continue watching Night Court. One thing I noted about both shows is that their biggest shift to me, not just in casting changes, was the tone. The tone of the original Night Court was, for lack of a better word, horny. Yes, it was so sexual. Um, the, some of the earliest jokes are them like staring at a couple across the street, enjoying their time. Uh, this new version is very tame. It's very family friendly. It could be on Disney. It's um, not at all that, at least in the first two episodes. It may get to that point, but that doesn't really feel right for this ensemble they've built in. Both of these um, shows, literally, the, the thing you're describing right now where they, they, it feels too tame, I think you're still talking about Night Court, but you could also equally be talking about that 90s show. Because both of them just feel like, what if you filtered the original through the Disney Channel lens? Agreed. The bigger shift to me in terms of tone with that 70s show and that 90s show was the cynicism was gone. Yeah. There was sort of a jaded quality to everyone. And I think Red and Hyde really uh, were the anchors of that on the original show. Hyde, the Danny Masterson character, has not been mentioned in the whole first season of that 90s show, which I think is the right move. Um, but this new one has a sweetness at its core. It's much more kitty in character than it is Red. And even Red is softened a bit in his newer incarnation. So uh, I think I kind of prefer it. I know that's really. Terrible. I didn't really like that 70s show that much. I sometimes thought it was funny, but like they were so mean to Eric all the time. And I was like, why do if no one likes him, why is everyone hanging out with him? I mean, oh, I, I think... 
This is where you get into sitcoms do reflect the sensibility of their era. And I think the 80s, Night Court, was really horny. Was just, everybody was on <laughs> cocaine, and they all wanted to go to the van outside before you gotta get to JFK. An entire plot line in one of the episodes of the original we watched is that Dan, John Larroquette's character, wants to go have sex in a van with a woman before she flies out of town. And this was on network television in the 1980s. And they weren't, you know, holding back about it. it no, wasn't it wasn't like a, a wink, wink, wink nudge. It was, do you want to go have sex in my van? My airplane leaves at midnight. It could not be more on uh, cards on the table, you know? Yeah, yeah. That is not in the show anymore. Nope. The wildest they get was painting a mural of the Golden Girls over the jury box. I kind of liked that bit. I liked that bit too, but boy, is that a different sensibility. It sure is. It's it's tamer than the gr- Golden, Golden Girls. Girls. Literally, literally. When you're getting your kicks off of referencing the Golden Girls, nodding at a really dirty show like the Golden Girls. Okay, times have changed. They sure have. Oh, and I don't know if it's for the better, but I don't, I didn't really like the cynicism of that 70s show. Well, that's interesting to me that you like the more, let's say, for lack of a better word, wholesome approach of that 90s show, which does have a kind of a wholesome feel-good thing going on that makes me want to watch more of that 90s show. Versus, like I said, with Night Court, the Night Court reboot was good in that I want to watch more of the original Night Court which is not great for Peacock or NBC because they don't have it, Freebie does. But in the case of that 90s show, it does not make me want to go watch reruns of that 70s show, ironically again, on Peacock. No, it actually makes me want to finish the season of that 90s show because there's something a a little uplifting about it, not to be too corny, but watching a a show that essentially has at its core Kitty, a character who you love, even if you didn't really love the original series, she is kind of an emotional, I don't know, like, um, uh, you hang your hat on her. What is she? You, she's a lamppost. You, 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 what do you do in a sh- when you hang your hat on the lamppost? You're, you're showing someone that this is the thing? It's a thing in writing when you do that, I know. Your signpost? Your- yeah, sure, it's a signpost. Yeah, Kitty is the signpost of morality and good feelings. I really killed it with that, didn't I? Uh, but but you, you like Kitty, you do. And you like Red a bit, even if you think he's an asshole, you like Red. And here, the show frames the reboot through, well, Kitty and Red are empty nesters. Red kind of loves being an empty nester. Kitty really misses all the excitement and the youth and being able to care for these people. And so when Eric and Donna bring their daughter up for the 4th of July and their daughter says, I don't want to go to space camp with my dork dad, Eric Foreman. I want to hang out for some reason in uh, Wisconsin with my grandparents and these strangers I just met because it's the 90s and I guess everyone was really just like friendly. Uh, okay, sure, because Kitty is thrilled to have that life in her house again. She's thrilled to have the ability to relive some of her heyday without the responsibility of, like, actually having to raise this child. And Red is, of course, totally against it, but in a charming way as he's aged into being a bit of a softie. Yeah, at the same time, to me, that sounds like every grandparent I know. Yeah, it's <laughs> Especially if relatable. I knew them... Yeah, if I knew them as parents and they were like strict and tough on us, and now that they're grandparents, you know, it's sure, have that candy, stay up late. Here are Taylor Swift tickets. Don't get me started. (laughs) Which is part of why I think conceptually, again, this kind of works. It's like taking Dan Fielding and making him, you know, defense instead of prosecution. You're taking Kitty and Red and you're saying this situation is similar to the original situation, but it's different in some key ways where like you have less responsibility, but also the kids are less threatened by you as authority figures. So they're going to push the limits more. Both of those extremes are true and you're going to have to deal with both the upside and the downsides involved. Yeah, it also seems like they're fond of Leia and she's fond of them in a way that, like I said, everybody hated Eric. Even Donna, his girlfriend, seemed like she could barely stand him. And that to me was kind of a bummer. Like, they're going to spend the rest of their lives together? 
Kind of uh, of that era, though. Like, of the era that that 70s show was in its heyday. Talking about the aughts. Mm. You know, a cynical time in America. And a time when a lot of humor passed as just being mean to people. Definitely. Right? And so now, we've kind of moved to a place where just being mean to people is not considered funny, even if it is funny. You, you just It's not funny anymore. And so instead, we have a show based on what if mean people are sometimes nice, and that's funny? And what if the womanizer is a real sweetheart? Because boy, we have a lot to unpack with Jay Kelso. Yeah, everyone has this heart of gold at the center. And also, to me, it doesn't feel like the 90s no no that is i also want to say that's about now that is about how people want to feel right now in 2023 and as somebody who lived through 1995 it is absolutely an alien concept that i do not understand yeah it would be hard for me to see a comedy about this diverse group of kids one of whom is gay in a small town in wisconsin um which is still a very segregated state and was then like the idea that they would be dealing with all this stuff it doesn't sound that funny it sounds like horrible you know uh i'm glad that we're giving them this softness i don't want to see you know i don't want to point and laugh at, you know, kids being bullied. No, but at the same time, it makes me think of a a more realistic depiction of that kind of point in your life, which would be a show like Freaks and Geeks, which admittedly Mm -hmm. set a bit earlier, not 1995, but feels way more real. And of course, it's a different genre. That's a, a, an hour-long comedy. That's a coming-of-age show. And this is a, a comedy with a dash of coming-of-age for flavor. And over the over the course of the season of Freaks and Geeks, it does get sweeter. Yeah, it does. But it also still begins in a more real depiction of being a teenager, feeling like an outcast. Whereas uh, I don't know how many times in the first two episodes, Leia Foreman, our new protagonist, says, I'm not popular, or I'm not one of the popular kids, or back home, I'm not a popular child. And I'm like, I understand what you're saying. And also, nobody says it that often. And it's not actually enough to say it. You do have to show it. Agreed. Yeah, she seems to not really have trouble making friends. It's like, oh, I'm so awkward because I'm clumsy. It's like, eh, is that really awkwardness? No. People seem to like you. You're pretty. Yep. And at the very least, the show in the second episode does lean into that by making an entire plot line around you're too pretty to not have had your first kiss. If we just take you to the mall, someone will kiss you, which is both a weird plot line and one of the more realistic 90s plot lines they could have thrown in. Like that plot line felt more realistically 90s than the contents of the world in the show. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. Though I have to say, aspects of that I found a bit troubling in a way that did feel 90s. That did feel 90s, yes. (laughs) But in a sense that I was like, so they have built this lovely ensemble of kids. And when we're focused on the kids and they're in the basement, they seem kind of shielded from the world. Whenever we're outside of that, I'm concerned for them. And I feel like the creators of the show have not really learned all their lessons. Yeah. I also think it's navigating a weird difference from the original, which is that that 70s show, part of it, I think, was about a a time that is quote unquote a simpler time. But that actually means a time when we all did things more dangerous and reckless and bad for our health and longevity because we, we didn't know better and that was the thing to do. Versus the 90s were not really like that. And so it's weird to be nostalgic about a carefree, go have a wild time summer in the 90s. When I'm like, yeah, that did happen. The 90s gave us shows like, or, you know, uh, pieces of culture like Wet Hot American Summer, which does channel that successfully. But it's it it strikes me as odd when they play some of these same let's say, melodies from the original, which are like, we're going to tap a keg. We're going to climb up the water tower. We're going to go commit some maybe borderline assault at the mall against a guy who scoops ice cream and looks 12. You know? Yeah, that was creepy. 
Those are those are those are weird, creepy choices that feel carefree in a show set in the 70s and then less carefree as each subsequent decade moves forward. And right in the 90s, I'm like, yep, that still passes as authentically 90s, but in a troubling way that the show is not interested in addressing. And I don't blame it. I don't think the show should address that, but I think it does it does show the limits to the reboot uh, the rebootability of the original in this case. I agree with that. I do think, you know, going back to dropping Danny Masters in, I think that's one of the smartest choices that they made so far. And I wish that they would have done the same with Fez, to be honest. I knew honest, you were going to or... say it. I knew it. I'm sorry. It doesn't work. It's not funny. It's so racist. And like, we know better now. We should have known better then. I think that there are people who will argue we didn't know better then. Okay, come on. We do now. I I agree. And I'm going to take another side of this, which is they should not have brought back Fez because he doesn't add anything to the new story. He does not add anything to the reboot world that they're building. He just distracts from it and subtracts from it. And they try really hard to make it seem like he is somehow integral to this new reboot ensemble by introducing a new neighbor who lives in Donna's old house. And that neighbor has a daughter, of course, who's now friends with Leia Foreman. They're part of the new group, but then has a mother who is now hanging out with Red and Kitty, who are generationally old enough to be her parents, maybe even her grandparents at this point. And this is the neighbor woman who's hanging out, talking to Red and Kitty about her love life, for us to discover that the man in her love life is Fez, which then gets Kitty involved in a plot line to Cyrano de Bergerac Fez or whatever. At that point, I was like, I'm going to go get another drink. I'm going to just let this play out because I don't understand what any of it has to do with the rest of the show. Agreed on that point. For me, I think my question is, are they trying to get people who watched the original back in with that and also hold on or bring in young viewers? Is that the goal? Because I think young viewers will watch it if they find it. The kids are sweet. Their ensemble thing works. It's not that 70s show. It's that 90s show. But I think it works well enough that that young people will watch it if they find it. It's certainly better than Fuller House. Yeah, you know? that's the thing. In the in the genre of, you know, 90s comedy reboots, it's a pretty good one. And it's a really breezy, enjoyable one for the most part. So I think, yeah, people will stumble upon it either way. I, I think, as I said to you before I watched uh, the, that 90s show, my fear for this has been that they're going to spend too much time on the returning characters and treat it more as a revival than a reboot, when what it really needs to be to be successful is a reboot that introduces us to a new cast of young people who we want to spend time with, and that Red and Kitty and the existing cast are the icing on the cake, not the main event. And for the most part, I think, Diane, you're right. You told me, no, 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 don't worry. Red and Kitty still feel like Red and Kitty. They're still the B story. They still hold the right spot in the show. And I agree, actually. And I would even go a step further to say, Kitty in particular gives you the lens to kind of view the show if you're a returning Mm -hmm. viewer. And it's a really heartwarming lens. As if you're old enough to remember the original, you you have or have had a parent who has reached Kitty's age God willing, and you've thought about how their life has changed as they've become the empty nester. And so this speaks to you if you remember the original, and it doesn't spend too much time on it. It does not hang its hat on that lamppost signpost for too long. (laughs) It just gives you this beautiful new way to enter the show, and it gives Kitty and Red a new dynamic that keeps them feeling fresh. That part all works spectacularly. Where I think they did fall into the trap of too much fan service, too much uh, bringing back of the old cast is 
absolutely Fez, but I would also say Jackie and Kelso, who, spoiler alert, show up for a single scene in the pilot to explain that one of the new kids is Kelso's son. And that is the only reason that they show up in that episode. And you could explain it without that scene, and regular fans would get it. And in fact, so far, their son has not really acted that much like a Kelso. He looks like Ashton Kutcher. I will say, the casting is uncanny in that this actor who plays Kelso's son looks like he would be Kelso's son, but his character is fundamentally really different, and I actually think the comparisons to Kelso don't add anything, and that scene where Jackie and Kelso return makes no sense in the context of the rest of the show, where we just had Eric and Donna return for a one-episode cameo to introduce the new plotline, and then leave. They left. And then Jackie and Kelso show up, and you're like, wait, do these people not know each other anymore? Did they not know? Did, is no one going to acknowledge what's... Okay, they're not. They're just, oh, we shot these on different days. Different actors were here, I guess. Okay. Do they not like each other? That's what I was wondering. Do the actors not like each other? Because I was also shocked. I thought that Eric and Donna's return was bad. Frankly, I there was a scene where it looked like Laura Prepon was looking at the camera. I was like, is she just really phoning this in? Because I've seen her do better work. I She's not untalented, but like, what is this? I think that, like, I don't know. I, I didn't need them there either. No, all of it strange, strange the returning of all of those original people. I would say Eric and Donna made sense to me in the pilot in that they introduced the new character, the new anchor. They gave us a bit of fan service, what to me felt like the right amount of fan service. And I would agree, it felt like Laura Preppen was uh, begrudgingly there because they wrote almost nothing for her to do in that episode. And honestly, they wrote almost nothing for Topher Grace to do in that episode. They're there as set dressing to introduce us to the new cast. But uh, they made more sense than Jackie and Kelso wandering into the foreman's kitchen. Because, again, they just wander into the foreman's kitchen to mention that they are the parents of Jay Kelso, who is a character we've already met but never knew his last name until now. I, I That was so strange. Very weird to bring them all back and to bring Fez back, and never to put the five of them in a scene together. No, and to add on to the detail, if you actually finish the original series, you know that it ends with Jackie and Fez getting together, which they then have to explain why that fell apart in the reboot, which feels deeply unnecessary and distracting, because I don't care. And there are a ton of people who watched the original and didn't make it to the end of the, the series run, because it was a long series, and so they don't care either. So just don't bring it up. Don't even have them there. Why does it matter? You can have new people with new stuff. Not everyone goes back to their hometown. Honestly, to continue on my high horse for one more moment here, I think having Danny Masterson's character hide completely out, not mentioned, is one of the more believable choices, not just because of the real-world very good reason he should not be mentioned or involved at all, but because he was the kind of guy who you grew up with and then probably never heard of or spoke about ever again. I agree with that. At the same time, in small towns, in rural areas, I do think people tend to stick around. Then why doesn't Eric and Donna know that Kelso and Jackie live in the town and have a son who's hanging out with their daughter? And why don't Kelso and Jackie know that Eric and Donna, I have just too many questions. You can't yeah, have it I both ways. Agreed. Strongly agreed. And, you know, maybe if this does well and gets picked up, they'll agree to come back i mean my, I don't know. I imagine my theory is, is expensive that, that right like ashton and mila are expensive they've got other stuff to do mila has said on the record as part of the press tour for this that she doesn't think that the storyline they've come up for her and ashton make any sense she's like it ended with me getting together with fez i think that made as much sense as anything you know i think it makes less sense to undo that and put me back together with ashton also Again, if you didn't make it to the end of that 70s show, Kelso has a baby. 
in Chicago, who they do not mention at all in this show, and would be older than his son, would be a teenager at this point. They don't mention, that's just, you know, they've retconned out some of that. And you know what? You can, in a reboot, in a revival, you can retcon some of the details, smooth it out. Roseanne famously had a final season where Roseanne won the lottery. None of that happened in either the new Roseanne or the Connors. They just threw that aside because, boy, doesn't make any sense now. But what's weird to me is then deliberately bringing back so many of these characters, forcing you to address the retconning that you did. I think it's actually fine. It's from an era where that was fine. It, who watched every single episode of that 70s show? Only if you watched it as a streamer, do I believe that? Or if you're like a super fan. But the way we used to watch TV was like, oh, it's a rerun. I'll catch it here and there. Especially as a teenager when you have stuff to do at night, you know, you've got a test the next day. I can't watch that 70s show. It wasn't really appointment viewing. Maybe it was to some people in my experience as singular, but I, I don't think so. I think it was something where it's like, oh, that 70s show is on. I can watch this, you know, for a half an hour. It doesn't matter if it's season seven or season two. You're not wrong. And and I think at the end of the day, what speaks the highest of both of these reboots is that there's shows that are like that, where the point is yeah. not to be a completionist. The point is that you can dip in and enjoy these anytime. And I think what will, you know, be troubling or, or difficult as these move forward is that those shows, the original shows, are of an era where you produce, you know, over a hundred episodes of a successful comedy so that you have such a deep catalog that I can flip on a random episode. And even if I've seen it, it's been so long and there have been so many other random episodes in between that it's fresh again. That it feels like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember this one. Isn't this the one where Dan wants to have sex with that woman in a van? outside the airport. So funny. So funny. But when you've got a Netflix season that's only 10 episodes, and then you've got an NBC mid-season replacement season that's going to be half a season worth of episodes, then streaming on Peacock, and then there's going to be a long gap before the next chunk of episodes. Will these shows be able to carry that momentum? You know, definitely, once I watch all 10 episodes of that 90s show, I am not going to be jumping back into that 90s show anytime soon because they just don't have the volume of episodes. Nope, they just don't. I might go back and watch more of the original Night Court. Of that. the four shows we've discussed, that's the one I'm most interested right. in. Right, so I, I actually think we have a verdict here. Ladies, uh, friends, gentlemen, people of all uh, descriptions, uh, you have one show that is absolutely worth your time, and it's the show that's always been worth your time. It's 1984's Night Court, the horniest sitcom, perhaps in the history of network sitcoms. I jump into a mid-season. You can skip yeah. the first couple. Oh, yeah. You start with like season three, season four. There is some mm -hmm. great evergreen, but also a great, very dated material that might make you cringe sometimes, but great regardless episodes of Night Court. You'll cringe, but there's another joke in 10 seconds. Exactly. Go it's going to be fine. And you know, if you were a fan of that 70s show, or if you were someone who always sort of appreciated that 70s show, but wouldn't have considered yourself a fan, I know that's where I fell. I think Diane even fell a little bit further on the other side of that than I did. We were not big fans of that 70s show, but both of us actually found that 90s show to be a breeze. And if you're looking for a breeze in these cold winter months, why not breeze your way through a, a breezy reboot? But that is the best we could say about them. Yep, that's where that's where we are now. But it's fine. The days are short. The nights are long. You've got to say it with me, Diane. Keep, Keep streaming. Streaming. Gah. We're traveling. I'm going to blame it on the travel. One of these days. They called it My Seattle Life, Colin <laughs> Frazier.